Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 180 years old and is the literary center of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts authors and speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We are a working library with more than 75,000 books available to members. We're located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati and online at www.mercantilelibrary.com. And we always welcome new members and guests. Joining us today in the reading room on the 12th story of the Mercantile, li- uh, Mercantile Building are Gabrielle Blocher, a member, or sorry, a board member of the Mercantile Library, Hello. Abby Moran, also a board member of the Mercantile Library. Hi. And Jay Stowe, not a member, uh, or board member of the Mercantile Library, but a member of the library. Um, Today we'll discuss A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James. And a warning, there will be spoilers discussed today, so proceed at your own discretion. So to provide some context for listeners to this podcast, um, this novel is... Um, essentially a deep dive into Jamaican political history uh, that starts in the mid-70s and goes up to the early 90s. Um, but it uses its center backbone uh, from, a, from essentially a kind of novelistic standpoint, the attempted assassination of Bob Marley in 1976. And what preceded that a bit and what kind of unfolded from that, um, it jumps off from there in many different directions. Uh, bringing us to back to the United States it's, uh, in a couple of different, uh, kind of the second half of the novel. Uh, the first half of the novel really is centered in the ghettos of Kingston, uh, the capital of Jamaica. And you get all of this told to you through a series of uh, monologues from different characters, some of whom repeat over the course of the novel, some of whom don't because they get axed over the course of the novel. <laughs> they literally get killed. Um, and that in and of itself is a very interesting way for the plot to unfurl because there's a great deal of jumping back and forth within time, within the actual arc of the novel. So it's not um, per- told perfectly chronologically. And so it is kind of hard to get into when you start it, I have to be honest. Uh, so for me, it, was, it took a while to get used to the Jamaican patois, uh, which I really loved reading, but it made it slow going. Um, and then beyond that, the fact that you're just kind of getting into each character's head as you go along and then jumping back out into someone else's head. Um, but it's dark, very dark. There's a lot of death and destruction that goes on in the novel. Uh, and it's, it's a very... I don't know, I guess I'd say a very cynical look at life uh, in general and how harsh it can be. So you were, um, before I I asked you earlier, that you found it a bit dark and therefore kind of difficult to to get through. I I think I found the novel difficult in a couple of ways. I mean, it's it's a technically difficult book to read. You know, it is um, extremely complex. There's a huge list of characters and thank goodness he um, provides a list of characters at the beginning. I mean, I can't even oh, tell yeah. you how many times I turned yeah, It was like a Shakespeare play. Yeah. Or Anna Karenina. <laughs> you know, it was just yeah. so, such a fleet of characters. It's just such an ambitious and complex novel. And um, so much of that early section of the book is written in Jamaican dialect. 
so challenging, and it's so hard to even tell at certain points in the book who's speaking. And so that just, uh, you know, from a technical standpoint, it's just hard, harder to read than, than most things I've read recently. Right. But the subject material for me was really difficult, too. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one reviewer that, um, that I read described it as grinding misery. And <laughs> I felt like that as I was reading it. And I really avoid reading things that feature grinding misery and mm -hmm. watching shows that, that contain a lot of violence and, and movies and everything. I just really try to kind of insulate myself from that. And so maybe that's a, a topic for discussion later. You know, maybe I'm exactly the person that needs to be exposed to some of these things. But um, I don't know. I felt like I often do when I do encounter violent descriptions, I feel like maybe it's gratuitous or unnecessary, or at least unnecessary for me. Mm -hmm. I, I'm glad I read it. I uh, learned a lot about Jamaica that I didn't know, and I've definitely like increased my level of empathy um, for all of these, you know, all of these characters and the people who have, have lived life in Kingston, but um, man, it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. Gabby, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I so, the first during the first half of the book as I was reading it I was giving it a solid thumbs down I think in my experience because mm -hmm. I felt like um, I just felt like it was too too complicated you know when you Abby when you're mentioning that um, it's hard to follow who's saying what and who's talking like he doesn't use um, appropriate grammatical structure mm -hmm. like he he when when it, when it's dialogue he just uses those little M dashes. The M dash yeah yeah and he yeah. does yeah and he doesn't do quotes so you can't tell when right. the quote is over. Right. There's no beginning quote. So there's no, he's no. not the first writer to employ that. I mean, go uh, right. Joyce and all kinds of other people. I but it, that's, right. that's a layer of difficulty um, that is layered on other, so other things that are making more. it difficult. Oh, yeah. So it's so like, more, it's yeah. complication upon complication. Mm -hmm. And you have to wonder if it's like kind of self-indulgent mm -hmm. on his part at some mm -hmm. point. Like, is it? Or is like he wants to challenge the reader ever so much. And he does, and it's like, wh why do you want to challenge me? Why I can, I, you know, as like, why does it have to be hard to liter literally difficult to read, mm -hmm. <laughs> as opposed to, like, there's a, that's a different topic than what you were saying about the mm -hmm. subject matter, you know? Like, that's what I, I'm right. saying. Like, yeah, it, yeah it's those yeah. two different yeah. categories of challenge. So, I, for me, the subject matter, and then by the time I got to the second half, by the way, I, I now give it a thumbs up. Mm -hmm. I'm glad. I'm really like you just said. Actually, I'm really glad that I read it. Um, and I, I said to you, as Abby and I had a, had a visit together, friendly visit, when I was about halfway through the, through the book, and I told her that I reached a point when I stopped trying to fight, fight it. Like, I was like, okay, so it's not going to turn into suddenly a different kind of book. It's not going to turn into right. a book, kind of book that's not going to use Jamaican patois, and mm -hmm. it's not going to be um, not stream of consciousness. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, so once I got over that, and I try, I just kind of embraced it a little more, and was able to get through the second half in a more, again, not fighting against what I was reading. Mm -hmm. I guess. Well, I think for me, it uh, got to a point where I got used to that, yeah. you know, and yeah. it was like I got into a groove with it, and then it, then it, it really started to roll along. Yeah, it's still very dense. I mean, yeah. that's the other thing is that jumping in and out of different characters' heads, you get different pieces of the story being told to you at different times and yes. then things getting explained to you that you've already read the, the like I was telling Abby earlier the the section where Papalo basically gets killed mm -hmm. on the road mm -hmm. by the Jamaican I think it's the soldiers yes, not the Army, police but right. the soldiers and when that's happening 
you know, I've, I'm kind of reading going like, okay, I think this is what is happening yeah. now, <laughs> but I'm not entirely sure because, uh, what, and he does this a number of times when in the process of describing a killing or a murder, you know, where he is, you're in the head of that character, right. and so he is, as the writer, using stream of consciousness, especially in those moments, mm -hmm. to kind of put you in the idea of like, here's what it's like inside Popolo's head right now while yeah, he's, he's on the verge of getting yeah. killed and is getting killed and yeah. what's happening, you know. And then later on, I think it's uh, one of the sections with Tristan Phillips, who actually really loved his character, yeah. just the way he's like, he was like, you know, he, I felt like he was like um, a device yeah, in a sense for, for uh, Marlon James to be able to kind of like explain some stuff that you've already read, yeah. but now you're going to get it explained to you so you really know what mm -hmm. happened there. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's not it's not easy, but it's um, and it is definitely dark, <laughs> way dark. Mm -hmm. uh, and but it's really fascinating. And I wondered, uh, well, this is just a question I had. I kind of asked myself while I'm reading this, but I'll ask you guys: If did you feel that were there any, even amongst the dark, especially amongst the darker characters, were there any of them that you finally found? Oh, but there's some either redeeming qualities about them that I kind of either not necessarily made them sympathetic, but at least made them, oh, I really am interested in being inside this guy's head. Mm. You know, oh, I think that's one of the most fascinating um, parts of his writing and, and one of the reasons he probably um, has just been awarded the Man Booker Prize for this novel too is that these characters Which I should have mentioned at the top, I forgot <laughs> to say These characters, else. well, there's so much to mention. Where do you even begin? Yeah. Um, these characters are so complex. I, yeah. you know, there are a few that, that maybe are, are flat or one-dimensional. I would struggle to think of any, but they're just, he really um, creates a lot of humanity in these characters who mm -hmm. do terrible things. And mm -hmm. I think that there are just fascinating nuggets of life observation, even in the minds of some of the most, like, the psychotic Josie Whale. Yes, right. I mean, he's despicable, and yet he's, like, he's the one who's, like, you know, the puppet master through so much of the mm -hmm. book, you know. I loved um, uh, the Popolo sections. I thought he was a really interesting character, yeah. and I liked the part where he realizes that his prime is kind of past. Mm -hmm. And um, he had a great quote about, um, you think of Genesis when you, when you come to Revelation. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, let's see, let me see if I can find that. Um, yeah, there's a great... He says, um, after all, only when we come to Revelation that we take stock of Genesis, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, he, and he says, going to December make me think about January. And this, yeah. yeah, and this is the, the crime boss. It's like right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Don. Copenhagen. Yeah. But he yeah. knows he knows that his underling is is trying to to move in on him sure. and which, which take was, over. Yeah, which was interesting. I kind of wait. I kept as I was going along. I was gonna. I was expecting, I guess, a uh, face-off between the two of them, mm -hmm. and that really doesn't ever happen. And mm -hmm. even though he's kind of suspecting, suspecting, he never really faces Josie Wales specifically uh, to you know ask him, you know, like, what's going on here? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, knock him off or something. There's like a lot of marijuana involved, though. So maybe, <laughs> well, yeah, maybe he meant to. <laughs> <laughs> this is true, but, uh, yeah. But, I, and then he gets caught, you know. So yeah. that, uh, that uh, so one of the, I read a few things about Marlon James, um, and he, he uh, quotes Dickens as one of his biggest influences, and then like Faulkner, and you know, Dickens is like the easiest of his <laughs> of his influences, I think. But he, um, 
he, th when you when you were talking about the sort of way things were revealed, the the fact that like the the action sequence would be revealed to us through the point of view of, for instance, the person that was dying, and which is, like, I think to me that was like the most brutal aspect of this. The worst one for me was I think Bam Bam's. He he mm. was buried alive. Yeah. And like this, this this book, I you know I have now experienced reading a well written you know account first-person point-of-view account of being buried alive, oh, which, like I, as one alive. can imagine, was pretty yeah. freaking brutal. Yeah. But the, the literary device of, of and like novelistic device of tell, you know, describing the action sequence and then over the course of a few other characters' descriptions of things, finding out the truth about it, mm -hmm. I thought was pretty cool. I liked that. Like, I liked that aspect of the book and in, in my experience of reading it. It was made it feel more like a mystery and... Yeah. Um, it was fun. I respected it as, as you know, good fiction writing, and then enjoyed it. I think as a oh, I totally agree. Reader. I think as a literary device, it's just one of those things where, again, it's like you were saying, Abby. Once you get into it, you realize this book is, or maybe you were saying, Gabrielle, mm -hmm. that once you, you know, like this book isn't going to play by the rules that I kind right. of expect, perhaps. Yeah. Book. Okay. Fine. Yeah. I'll play by your rules. Yeah. And now I'm going to go along and wait. Just know to wait that there is going to be this reveal down the road, probably yeah. about this thing that I'm not so certain about. Yeah. Know, so. But even, <clears throat> I don't know, it would be interesting to talk to Marlon James about his tactics in, in the very opening of the novel, because I feel, felt like the first 15 pages even were super obscure, mm -hmm. even compared mm -hmm. to the rest of the book, which is also yeah. obscure. I mean, I just, I think <laughs> I reread the first 15 pages three times. I just thought, well, what am, am I, I missing? What's wrong? Yeah, you know, I know, and I, I made yeah. the, the mistake of, you know, trying to read it before bed, yeah. and you can't. I mean, no, I feel like no, this, no. Is a, this is a novel okay. to, like, sit up straight in a chair <laughs> in a coffee shop with other nice human beings. Yeah. Like, look around every once <laughs> yeah, in a while and this. remind yourself that you do not, you know, you, there's no one with a silencer. Yeah. Right. There's <laughs> no one on a motorbike speeding up to shoot mm. you in a hailstorm of bullets. Yeah. You know what um, I was, I'm thinking too, like, again. As Miami a, Vice. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, as, 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 again, I say now I, I give it a thumbs up. But definitely my perspective about it is I'm glad I read it. And fl frankly, I, I saw Albert Pyle, the esteemed former director of this fine institution, last night. And I told him that I was doing this today. And he said, he said, would you have read that book had you not been doing the podcast? And I said, no, no. I would have definitely quit. I'm mm. like, no question. I would have. I might have tried. But maybe even 15 pages in, I might have quit. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's absolutely <laughs> zero chance I would have read. You would have put it down? I would, I, See, I'm one of those readers who's just like, in for a dime, in for a dollar. Good. Like I, I, always good. My, I feel like I'm going to make it through this thing. Unless I totally hate something where it's incredibly boring. You know, this is not boring you know, at all. Right. You may not like what you're reading or, or in, in the sense of like, wow, this is really dark. Um, or you may have difficulty with the, the literary, Language, literary devices, yeah. devices that he in, employs. But, but it, back to Albert's point, it's a total argument for places like the Mercantile Library because yeah. it does it all comes back to that. It does. <laughs> <laughs> it just to close the loop, which I wish Marlon James would have done at certain points in this yeah. book. I'll just make it super simplistic. Mm -hmm. I really do appreciate the library's existence in my life because it does push me yeah, in me this too. stage of life where I'm not in school anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, it pushes me to read things um, 
you know, just encounter ideas that mm -hmm. I would really, I would really way rather be sitting at home rereading Pride and Prejudice for like the 28th time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is about as far from that as you could get yeah. in some ways. But then in other ways, it comes back well, to these like essential human dramas. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's very Dickensian. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. just to use that as an, a really obvious comparison in mm -hmm. terms of it's, you know, a huge cast of characters. Yeah. It, it immerses you yep. in a world that I knew nothing about. Right. Um, and and a, it, with details that make it clear that Marlon James knows Jamaica in his blood, literally. Yes. And was able to dip into that and communicate that, show it to you as a reader, and give you, you know, a completely unvarnished view of life uh, in Kingston and mm. what it was like, what it is, well, to some degree still is probably, but what it was like, especially in the 70s, living in the ghettos of Kingston mm -hmm. and the way, you know, this is also something it took me a while to figure out, but like all the represents, rep, uh, references to the Jamaican Labor Party mm -hmm. and uh, the People's National Party, I think it is, the PNP and JLP, and how it took me a while to figure out which one of these guys who are these various ghetto kingpins are kind of loosely affiliated with these political mm -hmm. parties don't really have, you know, positive relationships with the politicians. They have these kind of business relationships mm -hmm. with them. Um, and that was just, that took a while to figure out. But it was fascinating because it was like, wow, you know, like this, just like this crazy, um, you know, third world political situation that then the CIA gets plunked down mm -hmm. into the middle because they're worried of it becoming another Cuba and another domino shall fall, mm -hmm. you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, getting in and, and messing with another country's mm -hmm. uh, po politics and people uh, ends up being a, a pretty major segment of the book. And I guess you could say ironically, comes back to haunt us in America mm -hmm. because part of the whole thing is these guys are running drugs and they right. figured out a way to, okay, we're gonna run the Cali cartel and the Medellin cartel's drugs through Jamaica and get them into the United States yeah. and make a ton of money. Um, and so that's another dark aspect to it. But. Yeah, so t two, I want to say two things. One is, um, back to the Dickensian thing, I, I, I want to, I don't know if this is Dickensian, I overuse that word myself, but... Um, we should see if we can mention that word in every edition of the 12 Story Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we can just have a little checklist, right? But, well, I, yeah, right, yes, yes. So, um, uh, it, the book is funny, funny um, at parts, and I want to just say oh, that yeah. about it, because yeah. we've said over, ever so, it's true that overwhelming sort of experience with it is very dark, but there's some hilarious little parts of it. Yes. And that's in the end, again, when it starts going a little bit faster, I think for the reader, for, for me as a reader at least, um, the Kim Burg some of the Kim Burgess stuff Well, hilarious. she's my favorite character me in the too. whole book. Yeah. Um, yeah, me too. Sorry, it's three names, Kim Burgess, no, Kim Marie Burgess, that's Kim. it, whose name then changes multiple times yeah. throughout the book, yeah. because then she becomes Kim Clark. Yep. Uh, for the kind of shorter section, um, shadow dancing, and then Dorca. she becomes Dorcas Palmer. Yep, Dorcas. Yeah. Yeah, I, I maybe. Yeah, I'm that's right. Dorcas, but I don't know. Um, her sister oh, oh, changes I, her name too, right? I don't know. Is that right? No, no. no, no. I think she <laughs> takes her sister's name. Kimmy. Okay. Her okay. Her sister's real name. Is that right? And then no? who's Sorry, Millicent? Well, to, I'm going to have to go to consult the character, the the list Millicent? of dramatis personae. Millicent, the nursing student, is somebody else too, right? Didn't um, she haven't? Didn't she have a different name? Oh, it's Nina Burgess and Kim Marie Burgess. Uh -huh. So, um, uh, actually, it's, you know what? It's Nina Burgess, sorry. That's Kim Marie first. is the sister right. who doesn't really pop up again. It's Nina Burgess 
who becomes Kim Clark. She takes her sister's name. And then name. becomes Dorcas yeah. Palmer. Okay. And then, yeah. you know, kind of okay. jumps through every section of the book. Yeah. Um, and she is, you know, he's a male writer. Uh, I'll let you guys speak to this, but mm. I kind of felt like he did a remarkable job of getting inside a female character's head and really having her speak, I think. He in did. A great way. But here's, here's the most, here's something I'll say about that. <laughs> he, um, as one can imagine, there are some extremely graphically um, described sex scenes in this book. And he is, um, he is a gay man. And so that is, um, by the, you know, by the end of the book, I, w I was not surprised that that was the case because mm -hmm. he describes these, um, the, the gay sex scenes with very different and more specific and sort of engaging and engaged language than he does this, the scenes with the women. Ah. So I wondered when I was I reading it um, yeah. if he's gay yeah. because it yeah. seemed definitely um, yeah, much more fresh and real. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the gay scene. More yeah. knowing, perhaps. Yeah, and yeah. there are a lot of gay characters in the book, too. There are. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are more yeah. than a few. So, yeah. and, and I thought that was, like, the whole Weeper storyline is really interesting. He's one of the, you know, one of the gang members in Kingston. And yes, he, works for Josie. Yeah. He um, has, you know, a lot of sex with men and women. Yeah. And um, that, I, I th thought that whole storyline was really interesting, how mm -hmm. it's kind of unspoken. Um, even though jo later on in the book, you, you know, Josie, there's a section where Josie Wales is kind of speaking and saying, you know, I've known this for a long time. Yeah. And I'm mm -hmm. not going to tell. Who, who am I going to tell? Because essentially he's, he's saying, because Weeper is useful to me. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah, not going to, yeah. uh, you know, turn him out in that regard yeah. and, and, and have someone else come in and kill him because he's doing work for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I thought there were definitely um, a lot of funny moments. One of my favorite moments was um, from when um, Millicent, the student nurse, mm -hmm. is talking at the end. This is like page 613, mm -hmm. and she says, I have this system. It's really only three words. No more drama. <laughs> Got it from black American women who are sick and tired of men and all their shit. I don't want any fuss, cast, cast, mm. conflict, disagreement, or entanglement. I don't even want drama on TV. <laughs> and I was thinking, <laughs> I don't want any drama either. That's yeah. why I wouldn't read this book. But <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny because this is nothing if not dramatic. Right, right, right. Sure. But I, I liked that. Uh, I thought he had a lot of moments where his, you know, his tone was just so... Um, so funny, and I would get rolling along, and then all of a sudden, like someone would just be shot in the most <laughs> brutal <laughs> way. You know, I know, I'd be I know, like, oh right. god, <laughs> we're just getting, we're hitting a roll here, yeah. and then oh, I mean, when I when at the end when Yubi is at Alex Pierce's house, mm -hmm. and oh, god. Um, I yeah. thought that Yubi and his and his gang members were going to leave Alex Pierce's house without killing him, and you know, just gave him a, they gave him a stern talking to and instructions for, you know, how he should shape the rest of his New Yorker piece mm -hmm. about the, about what happened to, with the attempted assassination of the Bob singer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you know, they're getting ready to leave and then they decide to shoot his foot. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then UB is like fishing around, you know, like, yeah. It's kind of unclear, but he's like fishing around for the bullet, mm -hmm. or like oh, you know, opening up the wound further, right. something terrible. Like mm -hmm. he's he's got his hand on Alex Pierce's foot right after Alex Pierce's foot has been shot. Mm -hmm. Like, 
really? Mm. Really? <laughs> I, that, I just, please, no. Yeah. Shoot, maybe shoot the foot, but don't, don't put your hand yeah. on the foot. That's, yeah. it's, it's just <laughs> so. Maybe shoot the foot, but don't put your hand right. on the foot. Right, <laughs> So that was hard. That, I, that's the same, I've already mentioned it, but that's exactly how I felt about the buried alive thing. Yes. It's like, just, just say, then he, then he was buried alive. <laughs> like, yeah. And he died. <laughs> like, period. But I can see, you know, so as to speak for the writer, you know, like, yeah. you know, when your mind's going and you're in the flow and you're putting this down, you're gonna let you're gonna let it go wherever it takes you. Mm -hmm. And now maybe an editor might have said, nah, do, we, "Do we need to have the hand fishing around in the wound in the foot?" But if you're still with but him at that point, like right. you, you know, you're, you're not gonna be surprised. No. Right. No. It would be interesting to see, like the. Um, you know, like the Kindle numbers, you know, they have all the statistics on how many people like stick with a book all the way to the end. It would, yeah. be, like, it would be interesting to see the statistics on the eBooks, how far people get before they give up. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I would think that it's going to be a narrow range of people who are willing to take on the two challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, absolutely. Of, of the reading and the content. One of the um, clips that you'd sent along as a link, Gabrielle, mm -hmm. that um, I read mentioned that uh, it, they thought that the Alex Pierce character is based on yeah. Timothy White, yeah. who's a longtime rock journalist, um, now deceased, but who wrote the biography of uh, Bob Marley, Catch a Fire. Yeah. I didn't realize. I kept, as I was reading it, I was trying to figure out um, who is this supposed to be? Who yeah. is this supposed to be? I know he's a Rolling Stone writer and everything, but I hadn't thought of Timothy White, and I think it was mainly because Timothy White was well known for wearing a bow tie yeah. at all times and yeah. everything and, and looking very kind of proper. Um, and I just couldn't, the, the Alex Pierce character seemed a bit more cool. Uh, just cool guy, yeah, you know, yeah. type thing. Oh, and, and then uh, he hangs on to the hippie look yeah. well, beyond, well, beyond well beyond the time, right? <laughs> right, he, yeah. right. He, I love how they, I, I mean, just the, the conversations of the gangsters at the funniest moments were yeah. really entertaining, oh, too. You know, there's they're really so much, like, social x-ray stuff that goes on in a very, very funny and wise-ass way throughout yeah. the whole whole book, just making commentary. Yes. And other people who you, maybe that person's going to get shot. <laughs> right, yeah. right. At Alex yeah. Pierce's house, they're making juice. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. they're like blending fresh yeah. juice and ripping on him for his disco clothes. <laughs> and, you know, it's 1991, man. I mean, yeah. there was, yeah, there's some, and it's some good, I mean, as a, you know, as like a white American person, like good little, I think sort of digs and lessons about like what you, mm -hmm. what what one sees and might judge mm -hmm. based on like if some if a couple of gangsters are in Jamaica speaking in patois, like uh, there's an assumption there. Perhaps prior to reading this book, there might be assumption about like the depth and nature of the subject matter being exchanged right. between these two folks, and I think. This book and it, and that comes the reason like that comes out in people making fun of the questions that get asked of them like oh you don't think I understand well right. how about da 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 like the yeah. you know and that especially comes out with Josie Wales so often yeah. you know he's yeah. a lot of his um, not a lot but a number of times over the course of the book where he's you're in his head and he's talking and kind of sticking up for himself in a sense like kind of saying. I'm a lot smarter than people right. making out to be. Right. You know, like I can speak Spanish or I can, or, you know, yeah. other people note that too a couple other times is like Tristan Phillips at, at one point, I think saying to Alex Pierce in one of those, like Alex Pierce is interviewing him in jail. Yeah, yeah. 
He's like, I don't know how that guy learned to speak Spanish, but I've heard him speak Spanish. I know he can do that. Yeah. Some people don't know. But it puts Josie in a power position at some points because people yeah. assume that he is much less educated or much less intelligent than he is, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So there's the American, isn't it a, is it a CIA guy who keeps mm -hmm. showing him a piece of paper upside down? Right? Yes. It's yeah. like a grocery list yeah. upside down yeah. and like doesn't yeah. think he's going to know and Josie doesn't, you know, disabuse him of that notion necessarily. Right, because he knows like, oh, all he wants me to do is go, yeah, man. And, yeah. and whatever, and and then he'll like assume that I'm just like any other uh, dude that he's gonna have to work with uh, here in, in Jamaica who he'd like to have him do a favor for. Yeah. That's okay because now I'm gonna learn something out of him. Yeah, I'll yeah. Figure something well, and he out. catches so much of the um, of the Spanish conversation because they assume yeah. that he doesn't he doesn't speak well. And then yeah. at the end, you be is a subscriber to the New Yorker. Yeah. Like, right. 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 Yeah. right, right. Oh, Do you, you don't see my I name <laughs> and my post office box on this issue of the New Yorker? You know, you didn't think I was going to read this, did you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That the, the, yeah, he comes back yeah, he comes back to the States and like, yeah, Alex Pierce comes back to the States and assumes he's in a really, literally a different world and he can write this huge expose of like who really killed uh, Bob Marley. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the Jamaican gang members are like, oh yeah, I read it. it was <laughs> I'm reading it. Interesting decision, I think, on James's part to not, to make Marley not actually be a, a character. I mean, he's a mm -hmm. character in the sense he's referred to yeah. mostly as just the singer throughout the book. Um, so in that sense, he is a character, and you do learn things about him. But he, you never are inside Bob Marley's head ever. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of cool, too, because mm -hmm. it gives you a view of the, how the singer <laughs> affected all these people's lives around him, and at the same time um, was caught up in the violence, despite the fact that yeah. you know, he was attempting to make peace, essentially, the yeah. whole time. Um, the, the description of his his death his, I, I, you know he he actually died from from cancer yeah and um he the description of it i thought was so i thought that was one of my favorite in terms of the way it was written passages. it was kind of touching actually because it, yeah. it takes you through i forget who's speaking in that um yeah that point but too. that person is telling you all these things and you realize well it's Mar marlon james who's really speaking yeah, in right. this sense <laughs> right but yeah, as it takes it through the, it, you know, they kept using the word Oma, Oma this and Oma that, yeah. and they knew it wasn't good, uh, yeah. you know, and then the whole thing about his toe getting, you know, yeah. his toe, uh, he cut his toe when he was when younger, he was kid, right. climbing over a fence, right. and then it always was a problem for him, and then somebody stepped on it and, and yeah, playing soccer, playing and then soccer, like somebody right. gave him um, a pair of boots, cowboy boots, like uh -huh. really nice cowboy boots, and he puts those, and I think it was an American actually, uh -huh. and he g gives it and he puts them on, and then there's like a piece of very sharp copper yeah. wires when he slides the yeah. boot on, ah, and around his big toe. And <laughs> Even that. Just weird, no, weird no, stuff no, that no, um, no. I have not read Catch a Fire, so I have no idea in real life if Bob Marley had trouble with his uh, big toe on one Prior of his feet. Prior to finding but, a melanoma. But yeah, yeah but uh, it, it sounds like that was perhaps the case. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it is true that the doctors wanted to amputate his toe. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and yes, and he wanted to like smoke pot to get rid of that. No, I'm not. He yeah. wanted to do something so well, holistic. Right, yeah, a holistic Rasta, thing. Yeah. Rastafarian yes. or something. Yeah. Like yeah. The, Babylon. Um, so do you think that um, Marlon James puts himself in any in any sort of danger writing this? That's interesting. I, that is a good question. I do not, well, I would think not um, because A, it's a, it's a book of fiction, um, but it's also 
set far enough back in time that I'm going to assume that most of these people are already dead. Uh, if, if he's, you know, mm. depending on who the ghetto kingpins he's basing these characters on. Mm. And then even some who might still be alive, times have changed a lot, you know. Um, we're still in the drug war, um, but at this point, uh, the power... <laughs> seems to have shifted in that world to the Mexican cartels, mm -hmm. you know, not so much uh, Medellin and Cali mm -hmm. and, and the Jamaicans, um, who, when all said and done, were, were essentially distributors. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they didn't make the product, they just mm -hmm. got it to the place it needed to be and, and made money off of it. So, I don't know, I mean, though, uh, the last time I read something about Kingston, there was actually a great article in New Yorker sometime in the last two or three years um, th that was all about very recent occurrences there um, with regard to who controls the various mm -hmm. ghettos. And there was like some kind of crazy military raid, you know, mm -hmm. where a whole bunch of people got killed. A lot of innocent people got mm -hmm. killed in the midst of them trying to get some kind of ghetto kingpin guy. Um, so I, I have a feeling that in Kingston, not much has changed in terms of just life mm -hmm. um, and how it's run. And so in that sense, I don't know, it'd be an interesting thing. I wonder if, you know, it's a place that he can go back to and not worry um, a, about being attacked for some reason, you know, mm -hmm. or if it's one of those things where he's never going to go back mm -hmm. uh, if he wanted to. Or if he doesn't care, and it's a book of fiction, and why should you know, you know anybody be? Maybe maybe people would feel kind of like, hey, he was writing about me, mm -hmm. you know, like that. There are that's certainly sometimes a place to people's egos. So, what do you think? So he, I know that he, ca I know that he. There's a quote by him that he felt that he couldn't write um, this book in Jamaica, and but it was in con in the context of the him being gay and him mm -hmm. wanting mm -hmm. to write from a gay point of view and being yeah. out and um, not wanting, yeah. So he, and he grew up, I think, you know, he kind of was, he grew up, went to like a fancy boys school in Kingston, I think. Um, so he's from the upper crust, but he, it's still a little bit more backwards there in terms of accepting that kind of lifestyle. So yeah. Which he kind of lets on in different points of the book, just in yeah. terms of kind of various male characters. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, but yeah, I can see where that would be difficult for him. Yeah. Um, so who knows? I mean, I, I don't know. I, but, you know, to the larger question as well of not just him being gay, you know, like writing about major stuff he's writing about. kingpins. Yeah. And stuff. You know, I mean, it's the thing, though, so much has also been written, I think, in uh, other places about not just these guys, um, maybe not as much about these guys, but like different drug lords mm -hmm. in different parts of the world. And unless you're revealing something that they didn't want revealed, which I don't know, I don't know. Like mm -hmm. if, if that, you know, I don't know Jamaican history well enough to know. I've learned a lot from this book about mm -hmm. it. Um, or you've painted somebody in a in a <laughs> in an unflattering light, and I don't know how <laughs> how in this context, mm -hmm. like what define unflattering mm -hmm. would be. Um, you know, who knows. But well, you know, it seems like an interesting authorial decision to refer to Bob Marley as the singer mm -hmm. instead of making it like historical, mm. historical fiction. Um, you know that that names that, that names Bob Marley. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um, I, I think it was cool. I, it actually made me wonder if, in reality, that's what they called him back then. Yeah. If, right. if the guys who were like, whether they were Rastas or not, but they were loving, you know, they loved his music, they loved who he was. Oh, it's the singer. Yeah. You know, almost like the prophet or whatever. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. Like as a, as again, somebody just grew up here in Cincinnati, Ohio, in the uh, you know late '70s through the '80s, '90s, whatever. That music is so. That mu his music is. Uh, so influential and like has been is a part of so many everyone I know their their lives like it's such um, it's good music and it's interesting like that he was such a he was such a part of history in a way that um, other musicians uh, you know I don't know of a comparable musician well, well and then he started this musical dynasty because after I finished this I read all you know his Wikipedia page uh -huh. and the Wikipedia pages of all his children uh -huh. he has Ziggy, a bunch of kids yeah. and a bunch of them are involved um, mm -hmm. with music mm -hmm. and so that's kind of interesting yeah. one thing that I wanted to talk about you know for sure today was just um, how the time frame of the novel really allowed us to see um, sort of how things have evolved mm -hmm in terms of several you know different aspects of society i agree with you jay that there are a lot of like books and movies and tv shows and things that have studied the drug culture in different mm -hmm. ways but this one was interesting because it takes us from 75 to 91 yeah. and yeah. so i thought that whole the whole trajectory from pot to um coke mm -hmm. to crack was interesting yes. and at yeah. several points they they um the characters we're pointing out the difference, like once you start doing crack, you can't do anything else. I mean, there's a, yeah. there was a great line about you can't even hold another thing in your brain yeah. or something. You can't yeah. Yeah. can't do anything, and um, and then also just like how the um, the sexual trends changed too, from free love to um, to the AIDS era. There was a mm -hmm. there's a good line, um, and I think that that's an Alex Pierce line too. He says. Um, who am I kidding? With all the free love bullshit I spout, I'm the one who sounds old hat. Thanks to Republicans and AIDS, everybody <laughs> is marrying now. Even gay guys are thinking about it. <laughs> and that's, that's from the section at the end, you know, in uh, 1991. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I liked that, too. I liked the, the sweep of the novel, you know, over a span of, you know, like a decade and a half. I yeah. That's oh, that yes. pretty cool. So oh, totally. I mean, the ambition in this novel is yeah. incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's epic. I mean, literally to do this kind of story, not just as we're talking very earlier, but just like the, con the, the way it's organized architecturally, mm -hmm. but just to decide, oh, yeah, and now I'm going to tell this like 16 years of history um, that jumps from one country to another country, yeah. jumps around, you know, is just really incredible yeah. uh, and that's what to me made it um, why I wanted to stick with it because yeah. like I was like okay this guy is this is an incredibly ambitious thing he's yeah. trying to pull off like I want to see where this goes yeah you know yeah so, so one, uh, one other point I wanted to make to this uh, this is just kind of broad but I think um, and you, Jay earlier you were talking about the the CIA and uh, the two political parties and sort of like and I read a little bit about this and um, Barb Marley's place in um, in between those two parties and just the way things were politically that back then and um, I, that this is actually a part of the book that I, I don't, I'm not sure I quite understood or c couldn't follow it I feel like there were a few dangling parts of it in terms of who 
which CIA, who were these CIA people and what were they doing and why'd the one guy have to go to Argentina and blah, 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 blah. And there was this one, the one guy who'd gone rogue. Oh, Barry DeFlorio goes to Good. Argentina and William Adler is the rogue guy. And he's yeah. the one who calls him on the phone. And yes. He's like, ah, mm -hmm. fuck you, fuck you. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, I don't know what you're saying to each other. But, um, but it makes me, I feel very cynical about the, the, like political, you know, socio-political system of the world and like the U.S. in particular. And um, going back to another point about the, all the violence in this book, there's a quote that I read um, by Marlon James where um, someone said to him, this, this book is so difficult to read. I don't, I don't like reading it. I don't want to read this. I don't want to read these awful violent stories. And his response was, well, the kind of person who doesn't want to read these violent stories sh is the kind of person who should read this book, um, which is an interesting comment. But the other thing I'll say about that is that, again, so the combination of the gross violence and the reality of, you know, and the fact that Marlon James thinks that people should be exposed to it, and the fact that the system is so effed up, mm -hmm. um, brought me this past weekend to reading a GQ profile of a sol U.S. soldier who I believe is a soldier, and I, he might have been a Marine, and I feel really bad for saying I don't know which because I used to be a Marine, but um, he committed the first, the worst war atrocity single-handedly in Afghanistan, I believe it was, yep. um, and I think it was in 2007 or nine, some, one of the odd I think it was, late yeah, maybe even aught. like 10 or 11. It was yeah. fairly recent. Very recent, yeah. yeah. Um, killed a whole bunch of people, including some tiny babies, mm -hmm. like on his own um, in a village. And, and, and the, the GQ profile is freaking awesome. I highly recommend it, really well written. The guy interviewed him and talked to him a bunch and got a bunch of, you know, got a perspective from this guy. And yeah. Frankly, I don't think he's sorry to his victims. He's sorry to his fellow soldiers mm. and like sorry to the system of the US that mm. he's a part of, but he's not sorry to his victims. And That's so anyway, I, I think uh, this book has made me really cynical. <laughs> well, I mean, that it can. And I've, I'm sure that in a, a way, possibly Marlon James would say he'd want people to be a bit yeah. more cynical about stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess I knew a little bit about um, the CIA's history in Vietnam, yeah. and yeah. Um, which has been written, you know, ad nauseum maybe. But uh -huh. one of the big things that came out of that was, again, to the, to the idea of cynical politics getting involved. Yeah. You know, they made a lot of deals with various people in, as it's called, the Golden Triangle, the part mm. of Laos and Vietnam mm. and, and um, Thailand, I think which was a major, and still is, a major heroin-growing part mm -hmm. of the, the world. And to get help from certain people there, they said, oh, okay, well, we'll start helping you ship the heroin into the United States. And this has been written about, mm -hmm. uh, and movies have been made about mm -hmm. it. Um, but th the idea of specifically the CIA mm -hmm. using whatever tools they can to reach the goal, the political goal that they are attempting to mm -hmm. reach, um, has never been, you know, a, necessarily a worry for them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I was thinking about as I read this, I was like, so here we go again. You know, part of this is that is essentially, at least in the book, is the CIA guys turning a blind eye to the drug, drug stuff going on, mm -hmm. the drug distribution that's going on, in the hopes that they'll get help from these guys to topple or hurt or stall the left-leaning yeah. government that may be coming into power. Um, 
And as I read it, I thought, okay, yeah, I get the cynicism of politics and everything. But in, but, <laughs> but in a way, what Marlon James is saying is like, see what you brought upon yourself, United States of America, mm -hmm. by doing this? Because then you reap the whirlwind of cocaine and crack, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. invading your country mm -hmm. and causing all the trouble that it's caused ever since then. Mm -hmm. um, just wreaking that kind of havoc. And, you know, I mean, it just, I started going into that mindset of kind of like, you know, the, just wondering about like, okay, you, you think this is going to help, but what, how we're going to pay for this later, yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the havoc you wreak on just citizens in your country Absolutely. who you're supposed to be protecting, you yeah. know, that whole, uh, it makes you, it goes down a rabbit hole very quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's um, why this is great writing though, because it does, it does help you draw the, connect those dots. It's, yeah, and he's connecting just, those dots. It, it yeah. just yeah. expands, it expands your understanding of some of the consequences of these things. Like you see from the, some, several of the gang members' perspective, the consequences of violence that they experienced when they were very young. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, and that's one, one thing that's just totally heartbreaking, yeah. but, um, but really effective. And that is important for us to yeah. understand. Yeah. Um, Empathy. Because the ripples of that. Mm -hmm. It's not just a political novel, it's a great social novel. It is. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it works all of that stuff in. Which, what, which character was it that um, had his, his parents were killed? Bam and Bam. The, Bam. 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 And the mother. gets buried alive. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, man. Bam Bam. Born under an unlucky star, right? Yeah. yeah. He um, had yeah. his mother fall on him. The only reason yeah. he wasn't killed is that his dead mother fell, fell on, on top him. of him. Yes. And his dad, who'd just been forced to give fellatio and then yeah. shot in the head immediately yeah. after. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's like, that's in. That's the first 30 pages of the book. Something. Yeah, that's yeah. the part that I had to read three times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. Did, I, did, I, did I really just read that? Oh, yes, oh, I did. Oh, yeah, yeah. I did read it. It's just yeah. as bad as I thought. That is what I read. Well, it's all oh, downhill from here. Yeah. Yeah, and then, yeah, that's, again, that I remembered old, poor old Bam Bam, because then that's, he, yeah. Yeah, because I was kind of hoping, like, well, maybe he'll come out of this in no. some way. You know, I'm like, oh, wait, I just read about him getting buried alive. He okay, gets, no. yeah. It's like, all right, it's, his suffering has ended. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's, that's another way to look at it, for sure. It's a blessed relief. Um, okay, well, uh, I guess we've kind of come to, well, we could talk about this forever, but mm -hmm. uh, it's a great book, and I would totally encourage anyone listening to this to read this book. I think it's great. I would, too. Um, that said, I'll let Abby have her say about, <laughs> about that as well. Just say... Maybe you know, just be maybe, warned. Yeah, just know what you're getting into. Yeah, and yeah. But I, I agree with Gabby. You know, you need to stick with it for a bit. I, I definitely um, would read it during the daytime, surrounded by other people. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I just think it's dark. It's a dark bedtime reading. Yeah. Um, but is. you know, it just kind of depends how you're much gonna you can, have nightmares. How much you can handle before you go to bed. Sure. Yeah, oh, I mean, I've been reading it before bed. Yeah, and, I, did, um, I did not have any of those kind of nightmares from the book. <laughs> <But> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, uh, we're going to wrap up with a quick round of book recommendations. Does anybody else have a book that they're reading right now or want, want to be reading next? Well, the next book on my um, nightstand is Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff. I'm really excited to read that. You know, half the, half the story is told from the husband's perspective and half the story is told from the wife's perspective. Uh -huh. focuses on one relationship. I don't think, I think that there are probably some acts of marital cruelty, but I don't think there are any um, foot shootings in that novel, so that'll be a good change of pace. <laughs> How about you, Gabrielle? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I, this has just, like, you know, blown my mind over the last month and a half, so uh, 
but the, I'm going to read Voices of Chernobyl next, who's written by, oh. it's written by the woman who just, just won the Nobel Prize yes, for Literature. Yes, the Nobel Prize. Yeah. I couldn't tell you her actual I long can't remember. I probably name. can't pronounce it um, if I even try. But, yeah. so yeah, I'm going to stay, stay dark, stay dark <laughs> right. for now. This made me want to um, attempt something I've had a, a stack on top of my stack for a long time, but I've been kind of afraid to, but it's War and Peace because it's of oh, the epic yeah. scope. I thought, ah, well, why not just go for the biggest <laughs> one? You know what? I, that's something I've been meaning to read, too. It would be fun to get a little a little group together. Yeah. Yeah, They um, it the, the one I've got came out, this is probably like five, six, seven years ago, but it was a new translation I that got a lot of... Um, uh, positive press. I have the same translation. It's a husband-wife team yeah. who translated Anna Karenina before that. Yes. And I yes. love that translation of Anna Karenina. Oh, cool. And so I've been wanting to do War and Peace, but maybe we should... So um, you've read more than one translation of Anna Karenina? Well, I mean, I've compared the one that I've read fully to I other just older transitions. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I have not read an entire old translation of Anna Karenina, but I've compared parts because I was curious because yeah. it was getting a lot of good press, this yes. newer yeah. translation. And I thought, well, what, what does the old one sound like? So, yeah. um, But I would love, I'd love to have a reading buddy for War and Peace. I would too. Would right. you like I'd, to, I'd like to that? read it too, yeah. I've done, I've, I've, I have the, the big three Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and not the fourth, not War and Peace. I've done Crime and Punishment, mm -hmm. Anna Karenina, Brothers Karamazov. I need to read War and Peace. I like the off. fact that um, Albert said that he was going to, he thought that he would be turning to the Russians. Yes. Oh, <laughs> oh maybe we could have a, a crack, reading group with Albert. Yeah, yeah. That would be oh. fun. Yeah, be a lot of fun. Be really good. Hey, Mercantile yeah. members, if you're listening to this and you'd like to read War and Peace with us, reach out. <laughs> right. We'll, we'll yeah. get it together. Let us know. <laughs> We can have a giant group of War and Peace readers. That would be fun. Thank you for joining us today on The 12th Story. We encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud. And if you like listening, tell your friends to tweet to us at at Mercantile Lib. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Special thanks to our guests, Gabrielle Blosher, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. sorry, mm -hmm. Abby Moran, and me, who keeps screwing up everybody's names, <laughs> Jay Stowe. Uh, the Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDermott. Don't forget to visit us online at www.mercantilelibrary.com, where you can learn about our library and our upcoming events. Have a great week. 